driving it to right center. Could it be? Number 300 for Alex Rodriguez. That's up where Bo Jackson hit it in the All-Star game 10 or 12 years ago. Right field and a fastball down and away. 15 rows back. Hi, this is Emily Nyman, and you're listening to Breaking Balls. Misdemeanor on the floor, pretty boy, here I come. Pumps in the bump, make you want to hurt something. I can take your man, I don't have to sex something. Hey, this is Emily Nyman, Adam, she does it on Twitter, and this is the third episode of Breaking Balls. This week, I'm going to talk about the shift, the DH. I'm going to talk about a few other things that I've got kicking around in this brain of mine, and also touch on a project. Uh, that I'm doing with someone on Twitter that I'm sure you guys all know and if not you soon will so stick around one of my favorite conversations came up this week and especially now that we don't have any actual baseball to really pay attention to not American baseball anyway is the conversation about the shift now most of you listening uh, are aware of the shift but you know we have some people that that aren't really as well versed in all of the baseball lingo as some of us so just uh, give me a moment to explain the shift is basically it's a defensive pattern it's not even a pattern that's set in stone so in baseball when you look at the field and picture the positions in your head you know where the first baseman the second baseman the shortstop and the third baseman where they stand and also where the outfielders stand now those aren't in the rules there's no nowhere in the rule book that tells you that you have to have these positions these players in these exact positions that it's just sort of you can have you know nine players out on the field obviously of your pitcher in one fixed spot your catcher as well but then everyone else it's kind of a suggestion there's no rule that says that they have to stay there or they have to go there when we're talking about the field of play and where the foul lines extend from home plate these positions sort of cover the field the best as far as the game is concerned for the most part because you don't really know where the ball is going to be hit your pitcher can try to control that by where they throw the pitch and where the pitch is in the zone and how you know on the inside half the outer half of the plate so you try to position accordingly now you know you have a lot of power hitters and this has been going on for a long time this is certainly not a newfangled thing that people could be mad at about you know oh, they don't like how the game has changed They've been they've been shifting on hitters for a very long time. It's just that now it's more prevalent because I think that now people are way better at hitting. So there's way more power hitters in a lineup, and there's way more hitters to be feared in a lineup than there ever really were. So people they weren't shifting as much because there was a different emphasis on how batters would approach the plate and, and what their approach was and what their goal was at the end of the day besides just getting hit it was you know the kind of hitter and how what kind of contact they were going to make so now you have players that are being shifted on a lot because they are trying to hit from extra bases in order to sort of maximize their time up at the plate and you're seeing a lot of the defensive shifts and and I got this idea from Bo at Sheckbo uh, on Twitter and he was talking about you know the shift and how he thinks that the shift should be banned and I, I really just, I don't see how that could possibly happen because there's no rule saying where people should fucking stand. You can stand wherever you want in, in the defense. You could all group into one corner of the field and you could let the other team have at it if you really wanted to. It's totally up to the manager of the team that's on defense. It's a manager's discretion. So you can't suddenly introduce a rule that's just like, oh, now you can't, you know, the shortstop can't go to the right of second base. And it's like, why not? And also, how do you even draw the line as far as like, well, you can't, before the pitch is thrown, you can't move. But then after the pitch is thrown, the shortstop has to be able to venture to the right of 
if you're looking at out of the field from home plate to the right of second base, just because a play could bring him in that direction. He could be trying for a ball up the middle. He, sh he could be turning a double play, in which case he has to step on the bag and then he's throwing the ball towards first. So how do you draw the line where it's like it's not... It's illegal for him to do this at this time during a play, but then once the ball is hit, he can move wherever. Like, it's pretty arbitrary if you ask me. And also, what's the penalty? What are you going to do? You're going to give them an out if the shortstop shifts over to the right of the bag? Like, I guess I don't really know. Like, I don't understand the logistics of how you could possibly make a rule stating that there's not allowed to be a defensive shift to the point where, you know, now everyone's over to the right side of the field because let's say that, you know, they have a hitter up and they're trying to, you know, they're trying to get him to hit into the shift. And another thing that's always interesting that I would say is people that just say, well, why doesn't he just bunt? And like, okay, yeah, he could fucking bunt. But first of all, when a pitcher is busting you on the inside because they're trying to get you to hit into and pull into the shift, it's really hard to then just drop a bunt down the opposite field line. It's not as easy as you think it is. It's not as easy as like, oh, just drop a bunt. And also, a lot of these guys that are getting shifted on, they're not being fucking paid to bunt. I don't want to see, you know, maybe, you know, Mark Teixeira, he was someone that used to complain about the shift and that he felt, you know, really affected his career adversely. And it's like, I didn't want to go and see Mark Teixeira fucking bunt. I didn't want to see him bunt at least once a game. I'd rather see him hit into the shift every time. And guess what? He still had a decent career. He still won a World Series here at the Yankees. And that's just part of the game. And also, what good is a hit if you know that, oh, well, if they had shifted, this would have been an out. But now that they're not allowed to shift, it's a hit now. And it's like, talk about, like, a participation trophy. Like, the defense should be able to set up however they want. And if a guy hits into the fucking shift, that's just the way it is. I don't want to tell the defense they can't move into a certain position to make it easier for hitters. Like, that is some weak shit as far as I'm concerned. That they should get a hit if the defense is set up properly and they can't get a hit because of it, so be it. This past week on Twitter, I posed a question, just uh, wondering what people would want to hear me talk about in the coming weeks. I really appreciate everyone um, sort of chiming in, giving me what they uh, think I should talk about. One of them that um, stuck out to me the most was from at Chroma011, 011 rather, on Twitter. And uh, he just wanted to talk about, you know, the universal DH. And it was his opinion that it's time for DH in both leagues. And I absolutely agree with that 100%. I don't know about you guys, but... I don't want to see pitchers hit. I know people are like, oh, the, the strategy and the double switch and this and that. And fuck that shit. That stuff is boring. It's not actually, it doesn't, it's not as like riveting, I feel, to me personally, as people think it is, that I'd rather see the best hitters in the world try to hit against the best pitchers in the world, not pitchers trying to hit against the best pitchers in the world. And it's just such a, for a National League lineup, like it's, all but an automatic out like I don't understand why that is interesting or why people push back against the DH so much that well for anyone listening DH stands for designated hitter it's a, a role in the lineup so your pitcher doesn't have to hit that you can put an extra hitter in the lineup so they don't play the field they just hit and in Major League Baseball the American League has the DH and the National League doesn't the National League the pitchers are a spot in the lineup so that obviously poses some problems as far as strategy is concerned and you have to, you know, it makes it a lot more difficult to sort of like switch pitchers in and out of the game just because 
the pitcher's spot could come up in the lineup that you have to decide later in the game if it's a close game. Oh, do we pinch hit for him now? Do we not? And that just always, that's kind of interesting, I guess. But in 162 games, like, it's it's a little interesting. It gets interesting a little bit in the playoffs, I guess, when, like, every game is really, not that games don't matter, but you guys know what I mean, that every game sort of has a lot riding on it. So it makes the strategy that much more compelling whereas in game you know fucking 87 of the season just I want to see the best hitters hit and I want to see the pitchers throw against the best hitters I don't want to see Jacob deGrom fucking strike out Max Scherzer for the you know 50th time in his career like seeing these pitchers get up there just sort of these shitty swings just because you know someone like Bartolo Colon will get up and hit a one home run in his career and it's just like such an amazing highlight that people think that it's worth seeing pitchers fucking ground out or strike out every other at bat like their entire career just to see them hit the one-off home run his first hit of the year he drives one deep left field that goes Upton back near the wall it's out of here (laughs) Bartolo has done it the impossible has happened that was great. It's funny, I guess, you know, and it's cool when pitchers rake, you know, like Madison Bumgarner, he was a, he hit pretty well throughout his career. Syndergaard seems to have a pretty nice swing on him, but they don't, they're not practicing hitting. And what was it, last year or the year before, when during batting practice or whatever, Max Scherzer took a fucking ball off the bat and it broke his nose and he like couldn't pitch that day or some shit and it's just not worth it like I don't understand the novelty and everyone complains about there not being enough hitting and there's not you know oh they're they're trying to swing for the fences and they're not making contact so the answer is also to just have another totally inept batter in the lineup that can't fucking ever make contact and looks like an absolute shithead when he's up at the plate just flailing his arms at any pitch that comes towards him with the stupid windbreaker on to stay warm and I don't know about you guys, but the DH to me is just the way to go. That we all pay a lot of money and we spend a lot of time paying attention to the game. And I want to see the best hitters hit. I don't want to wait until the fucking eighth inning for some pinch hitter to come in who is, you know, a journeyman. And he's usually, you know, wear one of many hats that he can play a lot of different positions. He's got a little bit of speed. He can hit a little bit, but it's never like a power hitter. And I don't understand the the want to not see that much hitting or to see singles like you guys know how I feel about hitting and you know how I feel about who the best hitters are so I want to see more of that I want to see more of guys who are elite hitters not just serviceable hitters not just totally inept like pitchers I want to see the best hitters in the world hit every game so another question that got posed to me on Twitter by at Papa Jeezy was Ja Rule versus 50 Cent and it made me laugh at first, and, and I appreciate the suggestion because it is a little bit harder than I really gave it credit for. I've been sort of mulling over the past few days about who do I like better, Ja Rule 50 Cent? And this album came out like right when I was in high school, the Get Rich or Die Trying, that I have to go with 50 Cent. That I couldn't tell you the name of any of his other albums that came out after that. I know that he had a few because I remember the singles from them. But that album was just so fucking good. And I love Ja Rule, and he had some bangers in the summer with, you know, Ashanti and whoever else. But especially after the Fire Festival, I just gotta give it to 50 Cent. And I don't know about you guys, but I couldn't tell you one name of an album that Ja Rule had. Um, I couldn't tell you even the name of like a song. Like I can hear the songs in my head, but I couldn't even tell you the name. So I feel like this one is actually, now that I think about it, not as hard as it was when I first thought about it. But 
I feel like this one's a layup that I don't know how you can possibly say Ja Rule over 50 and I see that their beef is sort of like sort, starting back up now so I want to hear what you guys think just uh, at me or call me and let me know what you think of J- Ja Rule or 50 Cent 631-820-7377 or Adam she does it on Twitter so this quarantine has been a little tough in that because we have nothing but time on our hands really trying to find some entertainment find new shows you end up watching the same stuff so Recently, I've been watching a lot of 30 for 30s, and um, they're all really great. You know, there are so many that I haven't seen yet, but one that I, I've already watched a few times now because as you guys will get to know me a little bit more, that's just sort of what I do. I'll just rewatch the same things over and over again until I just know it back to front. And for some reason, this is just how I enjoy consuming media. But a 30 for 30 that has always stuck out to me and just one that has always just been mind-boggling is the Catching Hell, which is the 30 for 30 about, of course, of course Steve Bartman and the uh, 2003 NLCS with the Cubs versus the Marlins and, you know, the, the foul ball into the stands, Alou flipping out and pointing up at him and then basically the entire city of Chicago turning on this poor son of a bitch, literally running him out of the stadium, running him out of town and, and ruining his life for a number of years. And I was talking about this recently with uh, someone and People are still trying to blame Bartman for what ensued after that play, you know, which of course was the Cubs collapsing that inning. Alex Gonzalez is shortstop booting a ground ball, their pitching giving up run after run, like, and then just not unlike the Mets and the Red Sox in 1986 where Bill Buckner got blamed for that, there was a whole game seven that they fucking lost. So how do adults, we're all adults here for the most part, how are grown adults sitting here and trying to tell me about some like mystical, spooky, oh, the vibe in the stadium? Oh, the... No, stop it right now. There's no vibe. These guys are fucking professionals. I feel like we go over this in some way or another every week that these guys are professionals. At your job, do you blame bad performance on a spooky, mystical vibe that, you know, something bad happened at work. Now you're just in a funk that's over the building and you are just performing your job at the most poor level you possibly can and just booting everything that comes your way. And your boss is just like, and everyone's just like, oh, yep, we get it. Just a vibe. No, that doesn't happen at your job. And it doesn't happen in their job either. Can a player be in like a funk and be in a slump? Sure. But for an event like that, for something to happen in the stadium and now all of a sudden there's some like hex put on the team because of this play. No, stop it. These guys, they got their their head. They should be more headstrong than that. When you're at that level, you should be able to sort of withstand way more than a fan interfering on a foul ball play. Like the fact that Alou, who as a quick aside, I guess we can't be too surprised. I mean, the guy used to urinate on his hands to toughen them up. But with that being said, that very sane individual then reacting very sanely by flipping out, he slammed his glove on his legs, pointed at this poor son of a bitch, Steve Bartman, who has no idea about the the hellstorm that's about to be brought on him because of Alou and because of the fucking TV commentators too that focused on him and they blamed him and they acted like as if that one millisecond of a moment is the reason that the Cubs then lost the rest of that game and then the next game to, of course, the Marlins, who ended up winning the World Series against the Yankees that year, but that is neither here nor there. So this is a topic that I feel like is going to get brought up a lot, and I really, really want to hear some feedback on this because I want to know what everyone's 
thought processes on this and, and not even in a um, derogatory way do I mean that like I really want to know like do you believe in these hexes do you really think that this is a thing and if it is why is it only a thing that will exist in this realm of professionalism why aren't we giving other professionals the sort of hex defense that things go wrong why can't it be that this event preceding it sort of messed things up moving forward and that's why this person did a really lousy job like why is it only in pro sports that we are believing hexes and curses but in real life it's sort of like hey pull yourself up by your bootstraps you didn't get in a hex this may happen to you but in baseball we're like for years decades we believe that this one player this one person to have been bad luck or to have done this thing that now fucked everything up moving forward so why is that why do we sort of give athletes a little bit more leeway when it comes to these sort of things than we give anybody else and superstition only exists really at the athletic level beyond that people are kind of superstitious but they don't let it get in the way of their ability to assess the work and the product that is being put out by others and hexes have nothing to do with things going right or wrong. So at me or call me because I'd really, I'm really interested to know some different viewpoints on these hexes and these curses. As always, you know, I'm really thankful for everyone that uh, makes a jump from reading what I have to say on Twitter to listening to what I have to say on this podcast. And coming very, very soon, I'm going to be featured, you know, doing a little bit of writing for a new baseball website, Ball9, B-A-L-L-N-I-N-E. And this was started by a friend of mine, Chris Vitale. I don't know if you follow him on Twitter. If you don't, you should. He's a great follow. He's at Chris Vitale, C-H-R-I-S-V-I-T-A-L-I. And he's starting up this new website. He was gracious enough to ask me to join on. It's going to be a different kind of baseball website. You know, we're going to be talking about baseball history, and he's going to have a section about baseball cards. And, you know, we're just going to be having general musings about the sport, and you'll get to hear what I have to say even more on just another medium. So look for that to be launched in the next week or so. And follow us on Twitter. It's at Ball9Tweets. That's B-A-L-L-N-I-N-E. T-W-E-E-T-S and see what's coming up in the future. So speaking of uh, after the Bartman conversation, speaking of the 2003 season, I know that you guys uh, heard the the new A-Rod hit in the beginning, in the opening, that this one was his 300th home run, which was hit on April 2nd of 2003 at Anaheim off Ramon Ortiz when he was still in the Rangers. And that year was actually his first MVP winning season. But anyone who followed his career with any sort of uh, interest would have known that his 2002 season was actually unreal. And the fact that Miguel Tejada won MVP in 2002 and not A-Rod is absolutely obscene. If you have a moment, just please go check out their stats and just compare the seasons that they had. It's almost embarrassing for, you know, the, uh, the writers or whoever decides MVP. I think it's writers or whatever that they chose Tejada. I mean, the season, there, there was no comparison. It wasn't even close. A-Rod's season absolutely blew his out of the water, not to mention he had hit more home runs than he did in his entire career. I believe he hit like 57 in 2002. And, you know, 2003 was certainly nothing to shake a stick at. I mean, he had an MVP season in itself. He had 47 home runs, and that was the most in major leagues that year. And that's why the voting and that's why the awards, they obviously are being given to, you know, top players. It's not like that year Miguel Tejada, you know, took an absolute dump of the season. But it's arbitrary, and it's just way more emotional than it should be that the fact that someone... And this isn't the, don't get me wrong, you know, this isn't the first time it happened and it won't, it wasn't the last time it's happened. It's happened 
many times since then, but the MVP is not necessarily indicative of the best player that year. And I even say that knowing that A-Rod himself won three MVPs, and I haven't really studied the years that he did enough, with the exception of the year that he didn't in 2002, to really be able to say, like, oh, well, this other player deserved it in in you know 03 and this other player deserved it in 05 and 07 the three years that he won over him but I certainly don't think I mean all three of those years were absolute monster monster years and it would be I think I'd still be hard-pressed to find another player in the American League those years that did as much better as A-Rod did in 02 over Tejada so it's just such a it's always important to keep in mind that the MVP conversation it can just be added as sort of like an ornament on a player's career when you're talking about their legacy, but it's, with the exception of someone like Barry Bonds, you know, who won an an obscene seven MVP awards, it's not as much of a trump card just because it's way too arbitrary. It's just way too subjective, rather. It's a word I'm looking for. And all the awards are. And now it's even getting to that point with the Hall of Fame. I mean, I'm not going to opine about the Hall of Fame again this week. I'll, I'll maybe try to save it for every other week. But... It's just way too subjective at this point that for something that is a sport that's not really as subjective as people want to think it is, you know, people think that everything is a matter of opinion in baseball, but that's not the case. It's a real, it's a phenomenon among fans that everyone's just like, oh, well, that's just my opinion, as if their opinion can't be wrong and isn't wrong. But anytime you try to get, when a conversation gets to that point, there's just, there's no hope coming back. That if someone is so steadfast in their opinion and they think that their opinion is the end-all be-all for something that it's not the case. And don't get me wrong, there's plenty of things in this game that are matters of opinion, but there are plenty of things that aren't. And it's just such an interesting conversation to have. And that's why you can't put too much stock in even things like the Hall of Fame these days because it's become just at the whim of the people who are deciding who gets in and who doesn't. And it's just become so subjective and absurd that it's almost lost all of its its luster and a lot of its meaning to me personally anyway. I mean, I don't know how you guys feel. Let me know. What do you guys think about the awards and what do you think about the Hall of Fame and and the voting and and how has has it lost its luster in your eyes or has it gained any sort of more recognition? I I would really like to know. That about wraps it up for this week. I want to thank everyone for their patience and you know i got killed killed for not releasing it on saturday so it it really made this old gal feel good that i have so many people listening and really looking forward to uh what i have to say each week that uh, i'll try not to let it happen again time got a little bit away from me this week so next week i'll be back on saturday i might have a special guest with me i'm not sure yet but I'll, i'll keep you guys posted Again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to what I have to say. And thank you so much for your comments and your and your questions. And keep them coming. I really, I love the sport. I love talking about it. I could talk about it 24 hours a day. So anytime anyone has something that, that they want to say or something that they want to ask, please at me at mshedoesit on Twitter. You can email me, mshedoesit at Gmail, or just call 631-820-7377. And thank you to my producer and engineer, Daniel, at DJ Bingington. And we'll catch you guys next week. Misdemeanor on the floor, pretty boy, here I come. Pumps in the bump, make you want to hurt something. I can take your man, I don't have to set something. Hang him out the window, call me Michael Jackson.